The following is a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society. Do I have to believe in Christ's kingdom in order to be saved? What is it that needs to be believed or believed in? And is church membership a biblical concept? These are some things we'll be talking about today. Glad you have joined us for Grace in Focus. Grace in Focus is the radio broadcast and podcast ministry of the Grace Evangelical Society. We are located in North Texas, and you can find out more about us on our website, faithalone.org. You will also find our daily blogs and other resources at faithalone.org. Now with today's question and answer discussion, here are Bob Wilkin and Philippe Sterling. Mike is responding to something you said in a podcast. Does he say what I said? (laughs) He says that you, that you said you need to believe that you'll be with Jesus forever in his kingdom in order to have everlasting life. Okay, so I said you have to believe that you'll be with Jesus forever. In his kingdom. In his kingdom. So I'm talking about kingdom Mm -hmm. and with him forever in order to have everlasting life. And what's Mike's objection? And so his objection is the matter of kingdom should not enter in at all. It's simply at a minimum believing in Jesus for everlasting life. Okay, so I actually kind of like Mike's point. So I kind of stand corrected in this way. You know, Philippe, we talk a lot about believing in Jesus for everlasting life, right? Yes. We don't talk a lot about believing in Jesus that I will be with him in his kingdom forever. Now, in my mind, those are synonymous expressions. Everlasting life, of course, doesn't start when the kingdom starts. Everlasting life for us starts when we believe. So at the moment we believe, we have it right now, right? We're not waiting to get it. Well, we have everlasting life, and we look forward, you know, to a kingdom, you know, a physical kingdom that he will come and establish and everything. But that's an understanding that perhaps we develop as we go on the grace and knowledge of Christ. Right. So some people, of course, from a Jewish context, like the Gospel of John, they all believed in a coming kingdom. And such as it was when Jesus was talking with Nicodemus. Right. You, know, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again, born from above. Right. And even though he didn't mention the kingdom in other passages, it's clear that was the context in which he was speaking. That people knew that the Messiah, the Christ, was bringing in his kingdom. In fact, the problem a lot of people had with him was they expected the kingdom now. They didn't expect him to suffer and die. They expected him to throw off Roman rule and set up the kingdom for Israel. And that was a question of the disciples even, you know, to Jesus. Post-resurrection, is it at this time, O oh Lord, that you are restoring the kingdom, you know, in to Acts Israel one. in yeah. Acts 1? Yeah, you know. and he said, that's not for you to know. Oh. I think the way this relates, I like the way you put it. A person should understand that when I have everlasting life, I'm guaranteed I'm going to be in his kingdom forever. But let's say you don't have a background that explains that he's coming to establish a kingdom. Don't a lot of people in Christianity think that Christians will spend eternity in heaven? Yeah, and their, yeah, their idea is this kind of ethereal sphere of existence. So we're looking for the Elysian fields, and we're looking for this glorified separation where we're not going to have a physical existence anymore. That's not what Jesus taught. That's not what the Old Testament prophets taught. Obviously, if Adam and Eve had not sinned, 
They would have lived forever on earth in a fully physical body and forever. Imagine, you know, bearing children and filling creation, right. you know, being fruitful and, and multiplying. And in some aspects, that's going to be restored. At least in the millennium. It. So what Mike is asking is, okay, does a person really need to understand the kingdom? And I would say, okay, I'll correct myself. And I'll say they should at least have the rudimentary aspects of it. They should still be convinced that Jesus will be there, right? Yes. And they will be with Jesus and with his people forever. And if they don't understand that's called a kingdom, okay, but they know it's people and it's people gathered together, right? I don't think that Mike really means that there are people out there who believe that they have everlasting life and they'll never perish, but they don't believe they're going to be together with other believers forever. And with Christ. Which and with Christ. In, in, his, in whatever in, you call in, that. And ultimately, even in new heaven and new earth is his kingdom. His kingdom, right. In yeah. fact, if you read the book of Daniel, and of course, I understand, new believers don't read everything, they don't know everything, but you read the book of Daniel, there's four major world kingdoms followed by the fifth kingdom, which is the one cup without hands, and that's the kingdom of the Son of God. And that the fills the earth yeah. and that never ends. Yeah, and so he's called the Son of Man in Daniel 7, you know, comes up to the Ancient of Days and everything. I think that's one of the reasons Jesus often called himself the Son of Man, oh, yeah. Yes, is to give them the idea that I'm the king of that fifth kingdom. And that's how, of course, the Jewish high priest understood it. When he says, you shall see the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, he clearly knew he was referencing Daniel 7. That's good. I, yeah, I didn't mm. think of that, Philippe. I like that. So I would say, Mike, look, if you're saying if a person believes that by faith in Jesus they have everlasting life that can never be lost, and yet they've never exactly heard the word kingdom and they don't have a clear picture of that, I get that. But the truth is, if you don't believe that you're going to live forever with Jesus and his people, then you don't believe the promise of John 3.16. Because whatever everlasting life is, it's everlasting. It's never going to perish, and it's life, and it's with Jesus, and with all the other whoever believes in him, right? Yes. Just a quick word here about our online seminary. It begins again in February for the spring semester. Classes are free if you maintain a 3.0 GPA. We offer an unaccredited MDiv degree, and this spring you'll find classes on Bibliology and Ecclesiology with Bob Wilkin, second semester of New Testament Greek, New Testament Survey, Old Testament Survey, Soteriology, and Logos Bible Software. To register and for more details, go to gesseminary.org. Now let's return to our topic of the day. We have another question there. This is from Ronnie. Ronnie says a question about a church he attends, which one time was a denominational church, but is now an independent Bible church, which no longer requires a formal membership. That is, that you need to have your name established on a membership wall to have voting privileges and so on. And so his question is, you know, what does the Bible say about church membership? Kind of a formal matter of church governance for a specific membership. Does the Bible require that? That's a good question. Does your church, Vista Ridge Bible Fellowship, have you had membership in the past uh, and do you have uh, it now? Well, we have membership in the past. We have it now. We don't emphasize it. We don't require it for people to really fully participate in the life of the church. 
But because we're part of a Baptist conference, right. you know, technically, you know, for congregational rule, you need to have an official list of members and everything. But I haven't emphasized that for years. Okay. But we do encourage people who've come to believe in Christ for everlasting life, certainly to be baptized and to identify with a local body of believers such right. as we are and tell them that water baptism, in essence, is, among other things, you know, a way of identifying with the body of with a local body of believers. Right. Uh, but is it something the Bible requires yeah, I, I don't see that. That's a good question. I don't yeah. either. In fact, there's no verse anywhere that says you need membership in a local church. Based on the book of Acts and also the epistles, any baptized believer who is a part of a local assembly is a part of that assembly. They don't call them members, but they're part of that body. And, of course, then there's the larger body of Christ, the universal church, and any believer is part of the universal church. But I remember I pastored for three years in the doctoral program and then went off and taught for a few years, came back and later became an elder in that same church that when I left, it was very small and it had grown to like 400 people. And I came back and became an elder, but we didn't have membership. We never had it during the three years I was pastor. We did baptize people, but not for church membership. And we decided when I was an elder that we were going to establish membership. And I remember we talked about, okay, what would a person need to be to be a member? And we decided they needed to be baptized and they needed to have a clear testimony that they had believed in Christ for their everlasting salvation, right? Yes. So first week, I'm meeting with a couple. I was about 39 or 40 at the time and meeting with this couple in their late 50s. I'm asking the questions. I got a fellow elder with me, and I said, uh, so tell me how you became a Christian. So the woman says, I love John MacArthur. I love his Grace to You radio program, and I believe in Lordship Salvation. And, you know, uh, I committed my life to Christ, and that's why I'm a Christian, and I'm following him, and I'm going to persevere to the end. And so then I asked her husband, and he said, yeah, what she said. <laughs> and so we met as the elder board, and we were going to decide on whether to accept these people. And our doctrinal statement was clearly free grace, not lordship salvation. So we voted, and there were like eight elders. I was one of eight, and I was the only one that said we can't accept these people for membership. All the others mm -hmm. said... Well, if we don't accept them for membership, they'll leave, and then they won't get to hear the clear gospel. This way, they get to hear the clear gospel, and hopefully they'll come around over time. I was shocked. I'm like, if you have a doctrinal requirement and then you waive it, what's the point of a doctrinal requirement? And plus, that, this was the opportunity for them to be have a clear presentation of the message of everlasting right. life. And to Dan said, this is something that I'm persuaded of or not. Yeah, let me too. give you one other quick example. I used to go down to Del Rio Bible Church in Del Rio, Texas. A friend of mine was the pastor there, and I'd go down and speak. And I heard the story of a Church of Christ guy who went to that church. He was part of the Border Patrol, you know, that worked there. And so he put his name in for membership, and the elders met with him, and he said, well, how'd you become a Christian? He said, I went into the water, I came out, and I was born again. And they said, okay, you're not qualified to be a member. And he said, what are you talking about? And they said, well, that's not the saving message. And he said, you're wrong, that is the saving message. Over the course of the next couple of months, they kept talking to him. The guy came to faith in Christ. He had three boys in their early 20s. He talked to all of them. He had baptized them before in the Church of Christ. 
And he said, boys, I was wrong. It's just a matter of believing in Jesus. It's not believe, obey, confess, repent, and be baptized. And he said all three of his boys came to faith and he baptized them again, this time not for salvation, but this time to publicly identify with Christ. And I think that's an example of what you're talking about. Here's a guy who has said, no, you can't be a member, and it led him to come to faith. Yes, so that's the perfect opportunity to be clear and great story. But come back, you know, what do you think of saying something concerning church membership that that might be an area of freedom for any individual church yeah. to decide upon. Do they want to have a formal membership role or not? It's not biblically required, but it is something perhaps for the matter of church governance for them. You know, that's something that they are free to do. Yeah. I'm not legalistic in saying no, church should not have, you know, a membership role. It's not required, but it's not forbidden. Right. All right. Well, thanks. And let's keep our base in focus. Be our guest and subscribe to our 48-page magazine, six issues per year, also called Grace in Focus, by emailing your name and snail mail address to ges at faithalone.org. That's faithalone.org. On this program, we keep our requests for financial partners to a minimum. But if you are interested in becoming a financial partner with Grace in Focus, You can find out how to do that at faithalone.org. On our next episode, the book of the Revelation mentions adding to or subtracting from the word of this prophecy. What is this passage talking about? Hope you'll join us, and until then, let's keep grace in focus. The preceding has been a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society.